If you are ready to change the way people experience the transition to parenthood, you've come to the right place. On this podcast, we interview postpartum professionals, academics and researchers, as well as parents with unique perspectives on postpartum. Whether you've been working with new families for decades or are brand new to postpartum care, we'd love you to join us. I'm your host, Julia Jones. Hello and welcome to Newborn Mothers Podcast. We've got Lucy Peach on today who, funnily enough, lives in my uh, little country town. (laughs) She's not really a country town, but we were just talking about how sleepy um, our little uh, village is and where we actually met um, down on a retreat that you were running, Lucy, and it was a really lovely business retreat that I was at the time. I was like, I can't believe this is a tax deduction. (laughs) I get to like eat delicious food and go for a swim at my favorite beach in the world. Um, so that was a really lovely um, retreat and we met some really amazing people. But Lucy, I wanted to have you on the podcast because you are a period educator. And actually before that, I had seen your show at my daughter's high school. Um, so it's really cool, I think, for so many people our age to be able to uh, introduce their daughters to the topic of periods in a sort of like fun and positive uh, an empowering way when we were growing up it was so taboo um so you probably get a lot of people my age going like thank you <laughs> um but that, that's been that's how I came across you and it's been really fun <laughs> thanks Julia I'm just reflecting on um what we spoke about just briefly off air about how I'm day like 27 slash one and you're just coming out of period punching on energetically and I'm like oh this is so nice I feel like I can just kind of rest in my little trough and you're just like powering on and it's just a really nice little combination and yes so so often it's mothers that are I mean I want to say doing everything but driving this change and really hungry for an alternative and you know, when the family show happens for my greatest period ever, um, it's not the same as the adult show because I don't swear and it's, you know, I've got to be a little bit more careful. It's not as spicy, but I see the young girls coming in, you know, with their arms across their chest and they're like, oh God, just periods again, like why? And I can see your mum's dragged you in, your mum's dragged you in and the mums are like, oh, thank God. And the girls are like, oh, but then over the hour, just watching the girls kind of go, oh, yeah, okay, all right. That's like my greatest thrill is because, you know, you can't you can't win them over easily. But when you do and they um, get to take on some of it for themselves, not just about making their mums happy or, you know, they have all of these preconceived um, expectations, I suppose, because it's so loaded, you know, it's such a loaded topic. Yeah, you've picked yourself quite a hard target market, haven't you? Like twin girls, are they're not going to be like easy to win over. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think you do it because you've got a lot of humour and music and, you know, it's, just, it's a really fun show. So how did you... How did you come to talk about periods in that way? Let's, you know, let's rewind a little bit. How did you get here? Because it's such a, an, an unusual little niche that you've carved out for yourself. Well, the origin story is that I, um, 
I always loved um, science and I love talking. And, you know, I remember when my sister and I were in the bath, we used to play this game where I was Yana Vent and she was Darren Hinch. And we would like report in the bath about the issues of the day and we tell each other our news. And so that's just a bit of my um, essence there. And then, yeah, I just kind of meandered through university doing things that kind of tickled my interest. And I did biomed and I did honors in medicine and then I did um, teaching in human biology. And I didn't want to work in a school full time back then. And I found myself working in sexual health education um, and as a community educator. So talking about puberty and consent and STIs and contraception and relationships and working with parents and people that work with young people and young people, prisons, all kinds of environments. And at the same time, I had a little boy who was two and I was also beginning my foray into songwriting and all of those things were kind of separate. But um, then I read this book called The Optimized Woman, which really explained, I guess, the difference between um, men and women. And obviously, you know, we know that gender is um, not just a matter of your biology and it's a spectrum and there's whole different ways of experiencing it. But in terms of historically how we've understood men and understood women um, and, you know, often seen women as um, a slightly defective version of men with men being the sort of default operating system. And the way that she explains the menstrual cycle, <clears throat> um, well, I'll just tell you the first part that really hooked me in. And it was that when you're premenstrual, it's actually your creative phase. And so as a songwriter, you know, at 27, you know, with all of the self-exploration that happens at around that time, that really spoke to me. And I realized just as I was standing there on the spot reading the back of this book, oh my God, I am such an asshole to myself when I'm premenstrual. And every month there's this fallout of, of how I would speak to myself, of the pressure I would put on myself, of the expectation. Um, and even when things were good, it was like I was waiting for them to not be good because it just felt like the rug would get pulled from under me. And I didn't really have an understanding of why and how that was. And once I thought, oh, okay, creative phase, all right, let's give that a crack. Then I would set time aside every month to write music while I was premenstrual. And that really worked for me because my partner at the time was in the fire brigade. So he was often working nights. I'd put my little boy to bed. I'd stay up until 2 a.m. just hunting down the thread of a song. And, you know, some of them were not that great. Some of them were the ones that helped me to win the Wham! Folk Artist of the Year in 2017. But the point was that I really took that time to be with myself. Um, at what previously had been quite a fraught part of my cycle. And then I just went on to this whole exploration about really exploring the nuance of the way that my energy changed from day to day and week to week. And I talked about it to anyone who would listen and people just didn't really want to know. And then, you know, like when I won that award for the Wham! Folk Artist, 
I remember someone saying, so what inspired these songs and, you know, what were they about? I was like, well, you wouldn't believe it, but I actually wrote all of these songs while I was premenstrual. And they were like, yeah, cool. Anything else? Like no one was really comfortable having that conversation. Um, and then I was making a music video with my partner, who is a creative director. I was getting ready for this particular part of the music video and I was deciding sort of what to wear and how to, which lipstick color to wear. And I said to the assistant who was with us, oh, I'm in my post-ovulatory phase. I'm going to wear hot pink. And he was like, what? what? What are you talking about? And so then I gave him a little synopsis of the cycle and he was like, you need to make a show about this. And so then I just thought, oh, well, I, I will. And it will sort of be like a sex ed session, but it will have music in it and capes and I'll give people wine and when I was rehearsing it to my partner, he was like, yeah, it's really good, but you know, you've got a lot of complicated ideas you could do with a couple of visuals. And I was like, well, here's a scrapbook, talk yourself out. And he'd just gotten an iPad pro. So, um, that was a fun little exercise for us to, he would, he would sort of write what I was saying and singing, um, and then the funny part about it when we first started was how crappy he was because. I would talk really fast and he was just, you know, manically trying to communicate through a pen. everything. Yeah. <laughs> everything. That's right. Yeah. So and it's just when when we went to your show, and I think it's probably lots of people's favorite part of the show, he draws the audience as we're coming in. Uh, yeah. and he did draw me and my daughter. We were like, Oh look, we're up on yeah. the screen. <laughs> yeah, it's and it's like I just love collaborating on this idea because you know, I mean, I've been talking and thinking about it for a long time, but it's really like such a tender topic that when everyone brings their best to it, it's so exciting. And actually observing how a man has engaged with this topic for nearly 10 years and how that resonates with the audience has been such a joy to me because when you're sitting in your seat waiting for the show to start, and Richard's drawing all of the people coming in. I'm behind the stage peeking through the curtain and I'm looking at what he's drawing. So that's how I see who's in the audience is I see, oh, there's oh, the kid with glasses. Oh, it's cute. And it's like, yeah, just this moment of connection. And I think also watching the young girls, especially watch him, who is this, you know, handsome man on stage in a kind of suit drawing about periods. I just feel like, you know, if they walk out of here and they don't actually remember anything, but the experience of watching a man so reverently and and humorously and enthusiastically get involved about periods, hopefully that just embeds itself somewhere in their brain and they take that with them that that's actually totally normal. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Mm. I want to rewind you a little bit because you said when you had a baby, you started singing. So was that, um, I think for a lot of people, it's an unexpected thing that actually having a baby is a massively creative process that sparks all these other creative processes. So can you talk about that a little bit too? Oh my gosh, yes. And that I feel like is partly why I want, I've been trying to have another baby. I've been open to conceive for I think six years and that's, part of the reason why, because I'm like, what else is in there? What other lid can I blow off um, by having a baby? And obviously, you know, there are other ways you can create that experience for yourself without having a baby, but you're absolutely right. When I 
Hey there, I'm interrupting this podcast to let you know that if you are really enjoying this episode, then you'll really enjoy our postpartum education and care professional training too. Our training is online and available worldwide. We've already trained nearly 2,000 students in 60 different countries and we'd love you to join us. Wherever you are in your postpartum career, taking your first step or with decades of experience, if you feel a deep calling to work with new families, during this life-changing transformation, this course is for you. Learn more at newbornmothers.com. Enjoy the rest of the show. Um, had my son, um, it really gave me this feeling of, and I don't know that it was so much the birth, but I think just really taking stock of the fact that I'd grown this person in my body, I'd kept him alive with my body, and was I now going to go into the next stage of my life waiting to get permission about doing things that I wanted to do? And it just gave me this sense of like, I can do whatever I want. Like, I'm pretty sure if I can grow a person and sustain him, I can actually do whatever I want. And also I can do it and be really crap at it. And I can do it and be a learner at it. And I can do it and start again, or I can approach this with the mentality that mentality that I'm a six year old. I don't have to be an expert. I don't have to be good at it to enjoy it. That's that belongs to me. And when I was 19, I had wanted to join a choir because I thought that was a good way to start being a singer. And the guy who I auditioned in front of was like a hundred in this dusty old flat in Wembley. And he wasn't especially enthusiastic or encouraging. And he said, you're not right for this choir or something like that. And at the time I interpreted that as, well, he's a 90 year old man. who's an expert and clearly I can't sing. So I'll go and do a biomed degree. But when I was relaying this story to someone else just recently, he was like, you know, he was probably saying that you're a soloist and maybe you're not for the choir. And I was like, yeah, I totally didn't entertain that possibility at all. I just thought, He's an old man, he knows. But once I had a baby, that left me completely and I just just did what I what I wanted. And I've I think the other thing too, it really kicked in when Ruben was about seven or eight months old, you know, where they're starting to eat food and sleep a bit more and you know, you kind of I was able to lift my head above the parapet and sort of really sense into this um desire to to find a path that was mine um and it felt so good and and i would go to rehearsal every week and i'd be exhausted but it was so invigorating and it was so incredible i think um i mean i love the synchronicity between you know your cervix and your vocal cords and just how you know that sort of process of birthing and expressing from that end of your body can speak to birthing and expressing from this end of your body yeah I love it it's so intertwined and I also love how you've really mixed what would be traditionally considered quite masculine things like medicine and science human biology but then when you've had a baby and discovered your cycles and how that all works then that's actually brought in this whole creative energy around music and um, I know you do speaking and writing and all of that kind of stuff and that's um even you the way that you dress on stage and you know like you really do express yourself creatively and actually it's bringing those two worlds together that's been so mm. so powerful like instead of keeping those things apart it's um mm. much better to have both 
Um, so, so what was next for you? So you've got, so you're an award-winning musician. You've put on a period show. Um, what else? What else have you done with this? I was thinking the other day how really, um, I was at a Christmas party at this. Um, I don't know if you know Sarah Warwork. She's got a fitness group called Body School in South Fremantle with all of these incredible women that just go down to South Beach and do weights and run and she's hilarious and she's just so fantastic. Anyway, she was having a Christmas party and there are all of these incredible um, tapestries on her wall with different sort of textures and things. And I was like, oh, I would love to learn how to do tapestry and communicate, you know, the cycle and women's bodies through that. And then I realized what I'm doing here, Julia, and I'm just picking different mediums and using cyclical nature as um as an in as an inroad and i think i mean i i love talking about it because i i see over and over how much there is a readiness um from other people to just speak about their bodies and their experience of being in the world in this kind of body in a way that's just really normal and sometimes it's sad and sometimes it's funny and sometimes it's scary and sometimes it's exhilarating it's all of those parts of us that kind of get truncated you know it's like you know i'm sort of doing the cycle in the air with my finger but you know if you were to look at day one to day 28 and you think about how menstruating is just being dismissed or degraded at worst and being premenstrual is demonized and um, diminished as well and that's, you know, effectively half of your reproductively viable month and menstruating years where these messages are coming in that it's just something not quite good enough or actually there's something wrong. And and at the very least you should just pretend it's not happening. Just act Yeah, like, just, just yeah. act like you're the same every day. And, you know, the energy that you have to spend, you know, we're getting good at this language around masking, you know, when we talk about people that have you know neurodivergent ways of being and i think um it's interesting how all of these things are kind of leading us to the same point which is treating each other like we're a whole person and just how expensive that is energetically when you have to be something that you're not and not only does that take energy that you could spend on other things but it also means you don't get the full benefit of being where you are and, you know, if I'm day 26, day 27 slash day one, starting my period, and I don't have another frame of reference other than thinking, oh, shit, like I'm tired and I don't have the words available to me straight away and I'm coming into this podcast. Um, do you know, it's like that way of feeling about yourself. But I, I know that actually there are real benefits to all of the different ways that I am. And so getting to explore that through different mediums, I guess, is just more opportunities to communicate that in different ways. But it also means I get to learn different things. And, you know, once we did the theatre show um, and we won the Best of Fringe out of 700 shows and we were given funding to um, develop it and to tour it around Australia and overseas, um, it was just such a joy to keep refining that message and responding to the audience 
and seeing the common threads in people all over the place, you know, and, and what actually is similar about us, but how then there are, you know, there's so much nuance and unique stories within that cyclical experience. Um, and then, yeah, I was invited, we were, we were invited to perform at two um, TEDx performances and then I got offered a book deal, which again was incredible because that's not something that I thought I would be able to do. But, um, you know, learning the whole process of having an editor and a publisher and a marketing person and a team and having all of that behind me again was another experience of like, oh, actually with support and scaffolding, you can do anything, you know, you just, it, you know, when you have help and you have timelines and accountability and, you know, when I first said I would do the book and they gave me the timeline and I was like, but how do you know that it will be ready? And how do you know? And she's like, oh, we just know. And so just, you, and doing that with my body and with my cycle and knowing, okay, these are the times where I'm going to really want to run at it. These are the times where I'm going to want to flesh ideas out with other people. These are times where I'm going to be alone and do some editing and throw things in the bin was just such a lovely um, thing to be with throughout all of the things that I've made. Um, yeah, it's just, it's been like having a friend, you know? Yeah, I love that. Uh, which brings me to some of your other work too, which is working with um, workplaces. And I know that we use some of this in our own workplace too. It's quite common in my all-woman team there's four of us in the business every day for someone to say, oh, you know, I'm day one. I'm not going to be working on that project right now because, mm -hmm. you know, this is the zone I'm in. And uh, it's really nice to be able to have that language and know that mm -hmm. actually it increases productivity. Mm -hmm. You actually respect those cycles and let people do the bit that they're good at at that moment. Um, so, yeah, how do you take that into more mainstream workplaces? Because I know probably most workplaces aren't really like mine. <laughs> Yeah, with great difficulty. Um, well, that's not true. Once I'm in there, it's it's just normal. It's like we're just having a conversation and and typically the places that I go into have already some measure of, um, I guess, safety around being your whole self at work. And that is just a joy to step into and, you know, add another layer to conversations that they're already having. Um, because essentially, you know, 81% of adults are at work and most of us grew up with very limited understanding of what it was like for cycling people and for women and their experience of, of being in the world. And I think it's never too late to rectify um, that imbalance. And, you know, it's, it's incredible when, um, I mean, yeah, one workplace I was working with, they were a creative company and the manager told me that now when they do um, big sort of creative sessions that would typically last a day, that he breaks it up into two halves. So they'll do today, they'll do one half and then he'll pick it up in two weeks time and do the second half in two weeks to give everybody who's cycling an opportunity to bring a different part of themselves to this creative um jam because he knows that you know his bread and butter is coming up with creative solutions and that women and people with cycles have different 
energies and he wants a piece of all of it. He doesn't just want to be limited to only getting you on day one or 20 or whatever it is. And I thought that is just such a brilliant example of using what you have, you know, and I, I think there's so many ways that people take this and run with it. And I mean, you know, elite athletes have got it down to a fine art of really responding to what their physical needs are and being able to support and harness their different energies. But even if, you know, for your listeners, even if all you do is just say to yourself, what day am I? What do I need? How can I use this? Just having that dialogue with yourself, you know, I, can, I feel like I can, I, when I say those words, I can feel my hips just going, hmm, that's nice. Do you know, it's like we go out into the world, you put your face on, you put your mask on, you have to react and respond in all of these ways. And we forget ourselves, you know, we forget that we're just animals, you know, and we have a nature. And so just coming back to those questions of where am I, you know, not just how are you today, but where are you today, Julia? What day are you, you know, what's the weather like in your world? You know, it's just like, it's a great start and, and it's exciting um, to think about all of the different ways you can, you can let that live in you, you know, that, that there's, it's just limitless, you know, providing mm -hmm. you've got, you're able to have those conversations, not just with yourself, but then obviously with the people that you love and who love you and where you work. And in an environment like you've just described, it's absolutely primed for being cyclical, being cycle centric. Yes. And I think that's it. You're really right that it's just a starting point of something enormous because once you start asking that, like, you know, how am I, where am I, what's happening in my body? There are other things as well, like cycles are one part of it, but then there's also like, I haven't had much sleep or actually I'm hungry and I forgot to eat breakfast or haven't drank enough water. And you start to tune in with all of that and you do, um, you know, you do look after yourself better. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I love it. I think that's a really nice place to end. I'm just going to give you a little bit more of a plug. So you've got a book, period queen. You've got a show, My Greatest Period Ever. Have you... Have you done that internationally? You have gone overseas with that, haven't you? Yeah, um, we've done it at the Brighton Fringe Festival in the UK. We did that for a few weeks um, just before COVID. And look, I did it to a wedding party in Cape Town once when I was extremely hungover, which was um, hilarious and terrifying. <laughs> but we're doing it in Fringe next year, just four shows and their family shows, February 10, 11, 17, and 18, and the tickets are available now. And that's in Perth, Perth Fringe Show. Right. But And for people who are in other places in Australia or international, all your music's on Spotify, your TEDx talks on your website. There's yep. lots of resources, and I and I love that you take this message into so many different creative directions. And um, it does mean that it can land for everyone somewhere. Like there's someone might not really be into the music, but they'd love to read a book, you know. So there's, yeah, there's some way for everyone to engage in this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, ne yes. next will be my tapestry collection in about 10 years. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. I love it. We can do an art exhibition next. <laughs> Thanks so much, Lucy. Do you have anything you want to close with? Uh, just I think to say to whoever's listening that you're you not just enough but actually you're the world is really lucky to have you on whatever day you are and um you're appreciated it's no small thing to be just cycling along and jollying along in all the different ways that we are and yeah it's wonderful thank you
I love it. Thanks so much for being here. Here at Newborn Mothers, we believe that every family has the right to high quality postpartum care. If you want to join us, learn more at newbornmothers.com. And if you like this podcast, we'd really love you to leave us a five-star review and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.